0: Welcome to the Optimal Body Podcast. I'm Dr. Jen.
1: And I'm Dr. Dom. And we are doctors of physical therapy, bringing you the body tips and PT pearls to help you begin to understand your body, relieve your pains and restrictions, and answer your questions.
0: Along with expert guests, our goal of the Optimal Body Podcast is to help you discover what optimal means within your own body. Let's dive in.
1: All right everyone welcome back to another PT Pearl and today we're doing something a little different. Today we're going to go into Jen's story. We're going to talk a little bit into her background as an athlete, kind of how her movement evolved, what she learned about her body, some of the barriers that kind of popped up and how she's now working through some of those. So Why don't to start, you just kind of dive in on telling us where you'd say your movement journey starts or when you think back on your childhood, what did movement mean to you?
0: Gosh, I feel like I've talked about this so many times, but I mean, obviously, there's probably people who don't know. Uh, So I was actually required to be in a sport growing up for my Mm -hmm. parents, which some people hear that and they're like, oh, required. But I'm super grateful for it. I mean, so many lessons can be learned through sports, you know. And I had the opportunity to try out a bunch and see what I liked and I stumbled upon gymnastics and immediately fell in love. One because I started at YMCA and was the best yeah. there because they didn't have a competitive team, and then mm. I actually went to a competitive team and I was <laughs> the worst, and I was like, oh man, this is rough.
1: <laughs> and then you were upset that you were so competitive because now you're just like, wow, now I need to get this much better. <laughs> I <know. laughs>
0: uh, but I had you know amazing coaches and all of that. Absolutely. I'm very grateful. Um, and I'm actually so. I did do it for about nine years growing up Mm -hmm. and I retired at 16 and because I think I didn't extend into like later high school and into Mm -hmm. college, I probably quit before I got really severely injured because I have some friends who have gone through four knee surgeries, who have gone through back surgery, shoulder, you know, and for me, I am so grateful that I walked away from gymnastics with... I sprained my ankle, and Mm -hmm. from that moment that I sprained it, I always taped it. I fractured and dislocated my thumb, but luckily it was my thumb.
1: Right. (laughs) Could be worse bones in the body to break. Could be much worse. (laughs) Right.
0: Um, And to today, it's a little like hypermobile from the other one, but that's probably the coolest thing that I have going on there. Um, (laughs) And I pulled my hip flexors a bunch. and did have some residual things that we can talk about with that, but otherwise, and some wrist pain where I wore, I wore wrist guards for every day in gymnastics. But other than that, like I walked away with not having like severe back issues, severe knee issues, shoulder issues yeah. that I know a lot of gymnasts deal with. Um, and I'm just honestly grateful in my body for what I've experienced.
1: Yeah. And I think that there's one question I want to ask from that, that many people might have missed because you said... You know, you had these few things that happened, a hip thing that was kind of recurring, mm-hmm. you know, ankle sprain that you just would tape forever after that happened. Yeah. Um, but what you what you said was that luckily I didn't get hurt too bad yet. What do you mean by that? Mm-hmm. You know, because some people will say like, oh, they got hurt or whatever, or suddenly this happened. But what do you mean by it? I didn't get hurt yet? W- was something just waiting to happen?
0: I feel like it always is in gymnastics you just never know. I mean yeah. <laughs> with the extent with which you're you're throwing your body around and you're True. doing some really crazy things. I am grateful that I I mean I've I've I saw crazy injuries when I was going through gymnastics. Like I remember one of my friends, we were just doing tumbling passes mm. and sometimes when you're doing tumbling passes you would you would warm up with some lower level skills before we went into the higher ones. And sometimes your brain gets mixed up in in which one you were supposed to do. And so my girlfriend, I had gone, so I was literally standing in front to see this whole thing happen. And then she went right after me down the path and she was going and it's called like round off back handsprings and handspring, meaning you put your hands down and we were doing like four of those in a row. Um, And on the last one, she did a back tuck and then was like, oh, wait, I'm still supposed to do a handspring. And so, she went really high in the air for a tuck, then brought her hands down knowing that she had to do the handspring. And her elbow literally... So, if you bend your elbow, well, hers bent the other way and then bent the right way. And I saw this happen in front of my eyes. Uh, And the coach was like, oh, you probably just strained it. You're fine. And I'm like, oh, her elbow bent the other way?
1: (laughs) Uh, It's those kinds of things that just make me cringe, but also coaches, a lot of the times, especially in gymnastics, sometimes I hear are just like, oh, it's probably fine, right? 100%. I
0: mean, so. even that happened with my thumb. Yeah. My coach said, oh, you jammed it. You're probably be fine. And that night I couldn't even like button my pants. And so my mom was like, well, let's just take you in just to get an x-ray and yeah. see. And then that's when we saw the fracture.
1: Right. And do you think that that's an inherent issue? Because then kids who might want to speak up about something going on in their body are being taught to not listen to some of these alarm signs? Yes. I mean, I kind of led you with the question. You did. But, <laughs> but,
0: but it is true. And I, and I think it's changing a little bit now. Like even being a physical therapist, people always say, oh, mm-hmm. did you have a great physical therapist? And I did not go to physical therapy once throughout my gymnastics journey, yeah. which is really crazy. Uh, But now it's a lot more common to go see a physical therapist, no matter what sport you're going into. There is this fear point of like, you don't want to sit out of gymnastics because you don't want to get behind. And then you don't want to not be doing the skills with your team and progressing and all this stuff. So You do want to listen to the coaches when they're like, "Ah, you're probably fine. Tape it up. Get back up. You're good.
1: Totally. I mean, I know as an athlete when I was younger, the last thing I wanted to do was ever sit out Mm -hmm. and any pain that I had was hidden. And no matter how bad it hurt, I wanted to be on the field. So I can absolutely agree as an athlete with that sentiment, even though I know what I know now as an adult. So, you know, whatever. Hopefully that gets to be something that coaches and people leading athletics or development of athletes starts to preach in more and more and I know that there are a lot of organizations that do that. Um, Kind of what I want to talk about now is having done what you did in gymnastics and having that background and then coming out and retiring. Are there things that started popping up in your body? Were there things that you started noticing that you think either were influenced by how you trained in gymnastics or inherently some things you were left with that it's like, ooh, now this is popping up and something I get to address in life?
0: Totally. So one of the most immediate things was my hip. Okay. Um. And so, as I said, I strained my hamstring, or not my hamstring, my hip flexor. And yeah. that's all I knew was that, mm-hmm. oh, my hip flexor hurts. So, I actually switched legs in doing leaps on the other side so that I didn't have to extend that one hip. So, I just yeah. did leaps on how the other side. It. Yeah, ex- exactly. But th- and that's how I worked through it. I just gave it rest and did <laughs> leaps on mm-hmm. the other side, which is so funny. Um. So, getting out of gymnastics, anything that I would flex my leg... Um, mm. meaning my knee coming up to my chest would hurt severely. So I remember doing a mud run. It was a three-mile mud run, super fun, right? Yeah. Not a lot of things, but a lot of lifting up the legs to get through All the legs. mud. And afterwards, I was literally tiptoeing on my toes because I couldn't stand to flex my, my mm. hip. Yeah. And that was one of the most immediate times where I was like, oh, my gosh, my hip flexor is still not recovered. Mm-hmm. And then I remember going on a... 30 mile bike ride with family and I was one of them that was way in the back and my body felt fine. Like I wasn't overexerting myself. I felt good, but I couldn't keep up with my youngest cousin because my hip flexor was like giving me so many issues. And, and it was just that, you know, continual motion of hip flexion that by mile 15, I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to make it guys. (laughs)
1: So this hip flexion starts to become a huge issue. Was this at the point where you were already going into PT stuff? What what did you figure out? Like, where was your restriction that then helped you start to realize, oh, here's how I can work through some of this?
0: So it was when I got into PT school, and I would say it was when I also started to meet some different types of movers Mm. um in the world (laughs) that's when instagram started to grow and i started that was one of the most amazing things about instagram i started to connect with so many different movers of Mm. different aspects and learn a lot of different things develop mentors all of that and one of the things that was getting more brought up was this idea of hip internal rotation yeah and I always knew that I kind of lacked hip external rotation, like butterfly stretch. My knees would be like up high all All through gymnastics. However, the only stretch I remember really going into was pigeon and not really ever addressing hip internal rotation. And when I actually assessed myself, I was like, oh my God, I have no hip internal rotation and not great hip external rotation either. So yeah. maybe no wonder my hip flexor is taking over everything because it's, it's powering my hip joint right now. Yeah. And when I actually started to dive into that and work on hip internal and external rotation, mm. my hip pain has completely gone away. I went on a long mm. bike, bike ride in grad school with friends in Chicago, no hip pain. Yeah. And I really haven't dealt with it since.
1: And that's amazing. In lieu of going to your own PT or doing anything like that, you kind of did these few things that helped you feel something different in your body or just give you a little more information about your body. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow, this is really a lot tougher on this side versus this side. Or, wow, this is really just tough on both sides. And then you start diving into that. And I know as PTs, we say um, something like, if you improve in one plane, you can improve in all planes. Or if you just like, start to improve in a different plane, Or if you're limited in one plane you might compensate with a different one like you said that flexion was just taking over where you might have been limited in rotation so i also know that the rotation at your hips right it affects us down through the knees and a lot of the times you, you have told me at least, oh, you need to look at my patella. You need to look yeah. at my squinting patella. <laughs> can you talk to us about this squinting patella and why that might be something significant just at least mention or be aware of?
0: Yeah, uh, because I always thought it was like, I was the person also in grad school who would get pointed out like, oh, look, she's got squinting patella. Her feet are kind of dropped in pronation. And for those who are watching on YouTube, I'll just stand up real quick so that people can see. So if I really just relax... My kneecaps kind of squint toward each other. So that's what squinting patella means. I think it's gotten a little bit better. And if, and I'll show on YouTube too, when I just change positions of my feet or my hips, it changes position of my kneecaps. So if I were to just really focus on actively list, lifting through my feet and kind of contracting into a short arc position, it changes the position of where my kneecap is at rest and they're not really like Mm -hmm. squinting in toward each other. And then if I now just squeeze my glutes and externally rotate through my upper legs, then also that changes the position of my kneecaps, my patella. So all of that to say, I actually haven't had a lot of knee issues, which Mm -hmm. I'm super grateful for. I've felt moments like if I haven't run for a while and Mm -hmm. I go out on a run And at the very beginning of the run, I can kind of feel like a little bit of that, what we call patellofemoral syndrome, which we've gone over before, right at the front of that kneecap uh, sometimes, but it goes away so quickly. And I contribute that a lot to just the awareness of what my feet are doing, what my hips are doing when I'm doing movement and being aware where my limitations in my mobility am. Have I been working on it? Have I been working on my feet, my hips, all of that? So that once I start to load and get into these activations, I can actually support through my knee.
1: Yeah. And I think that this points out something that we like to talk about a lot, that the position or the image doesn't necessarily equate to the symptoms. Mm-hmm. And I think something that you brought up is that just that awareness that, oh, my patellic kind of do tend to look squinted even when i'm just standing at normal or when i feel like i'm standing comfortably brings the awareness that that might be something like hey if i continue progressing in that direction or do so uncontrollably without awareness it might be something that could end up hurting in the future so that awareness can prevent all sorts of things from happening down the chain i kind of want to take a turn and talk into something a little bit that is another thing you talk about a lot um we've also done a podcast where you talk a little bit about this but scoliosis, right? It's another thing that kind of came into your picture that all of a sudden someone said, oh, hey, you have this. And it's like, okay, now all of a sudden I have this new thing I've been given. What do I do with it? So when you initially kind of had that diagnosis of, oh, you have scoliosis, can you talk a little bit about that?
0: Yeah. I mean, that was funny. We, I did, as Dom mentioned, I talked about it on the scoliosis episode. So. Especially if you experience nine, scoliosis or anything, go listen to that. A mm-hmm. uh, great podcast that we did and kind of explain what that is and why. Um, however, I was teaching Pilates at the time at a chiropractic office. They did an examination and I saw an x-ray standing. So not lying down or, or anything. I was just standing, which I, I know I kind of lean and compensate and go and yeah. even my, my body at rest kind of goes into a different different planes. (laughs) However, when I saw it, I literally thought he was joking because it was an S curve through my back Mm -hmm. and then some forward head posture. So some straightening through my upper, my neck area, which your neck should have this natural curve that kind of comes up and back like a C. And I was kind of lacking in that. And it was just shocking. I didn't have pain. I was teaching Pilates. I was learning acro yoga. Um, I competed in calisthenics like there's just so many things that I was doing when moving with my body and no pains and putting my body in crazy positions so when I got that diagnosis at first it was like he just told me maintain your strength you're good you don't yeah. feel any pain don't get he he basically said don't don't get obese and I'm like <laughs> okay, okay cool great, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> um and what I've learned since then i i kind of wish i didn't have that diagnosis put on me and i talked about this as well in the other one because i realized that i've i've used it as a crutch and as an excuse sometimes so Mm -hmm. now if i realize oh my upper back is limited to my right oh it's because i have scoliosis oh i have thoracic Mm -hmm. outlet syndrome on my right oh it's because i have scoliosis oh i feel my right shoulder blade flare up when i'm stressed oh it's because i have scoliosis everything then becomes because i have scoliosis rather yeah. than because i'm stressed or because i haven't been working on some of those tools that i know that i get to do and it, so it's just it, it's interesting to have that diagnosis on me now and and see how i'm using it and being very much in an observation and awareness of it
1: and i think that's Good to hear you say something like that and good for a lot of people to start thinking about, myself included, is along our journey. What are the appointments that we had? What are the things that we had that suddenly had something introduced to us that made us feel different about ourselves? Mm -hmm. And I say this to a lot of people, your body did not change before and after that appointment you know, and when people think about it that way, it, it kind of makes them think something different, like nothing changed in your body before and after that appointment. But for some reason, we feel a heck of a lot different. Mm-hmm. And so if you start noticing that, then that means you're giving that diagnosis and that word so much power. Exactly. And I think you brought up a really good thing also that you started using it as that excuse and you're kind of calling yourself out for it. 100%. You know, and my next question would be, so, you talked a little bit into it. You started changing that mindset around, okay, I can't blame this thing, right? But what other things did you start doing as far as what you would change and how you were training to maybe mm-hmm. deal with some of the things that you felt coming up? You mentioned your shoulder started mm-hmm. really irritating you. What are some things
0: you do now? Well, what I think was super cool when I felt like the it was also going through grad school and I was starting to learn about pain science a lot more. Mm-hmm. And and we also talked about this in another podcast when we talked about acute versus chronic pain. So, again, if you want to go back and listen to that one, good episode. Um, but it was when I got in a car accident where everyone was fine. But I felt my right shoulder blade immediately flare up. And I was like, oh, my God, that's so cool because I'm in stress right now. And so that's why it's happening. (laughs) And the moment that I addressed it is the moment it went away. And what that also Mm. gave me was a tool to relate to clients. Like, when are you feeling this pain? What kind of environment are you putting, are you in? And can you notice and and maybe recognize in your own life that that is a stressor for you? And maybe Mm -hmm. that's why in this moment you're experiencing a little bit more pain. So... It was a super valuable tool to really feel that um, in that moment and, and be able to equate it back to that. And now I know when I am maybe not drinking enough water, putting the right yeah. foods in my body, not sleeping enough, super stressed of whatever's going on, I know and I, I, I do get to feel that right shoulder blade flare up a little bit more.
1: So let's take that one step further even, you know, say you are doing some movement and some exercise mm-hmm. specifically and your right shoulder blade starts flaring up. That makes us want to say like, oh, this movement is making my shoulder flare up. Even in that moment, are there things that you know you can do differently to maybe position that right shoulder for success Mm -hmm. if you want to continue doing more sets?
0: Yeah. So one of the things that has been brought to my attention is really, I mean, something we foundationally talk about a lot and that's the breath Mm -hmm. and that's how I'm using the rib cage. And even when, so we showed this in the breath episode, but when I wrap the, the okay. band around my rib cage and I did breath work, cat-cow, uh, upper back rotation stretches and all this other stuff. And then I retested to see how my upper back mobility was and yeah. how that shoulder felt in a handstand. World of a difference. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my! I, like all of a sudden, I was like, flare. I was like flying up in this rotation. Like, what? <laughs> that's never happened before. Yeah. And just putting attention of where my breath is coming from into that rib cage and getting it out of this stress response in my shoulder. And that's when you know, if my body is so used to. utilizing my neck my shoulder my what we call like our scalenes around you know the Mm. neck and that kind of puts pressure down into the nerves that come out in that area and and that can cause different positional changes to feel something different so like if i do my hair my and my hand mm. will start to go numb sometimes. Or yeah. if I'm if I'm doing a handstand for over a minute, my hand will start to go numb. Mm. So I notice these different positions. But if I go back to the breath, if I go back to the rib cage, and I'm actually diligent about working on those things, working on my mobility through my rib cage and my upper back, it changes the game for how I feel. And now you've noticed and caught me sleeping with my arms above my head.
1: (laughs) Right. And your hands aren't asleep when you wake up in the morning. They're not
0: asleep. It's like the most amazing thing. (laughs) And another feedback loop to tell me like, oh, I can have my hands overhead and it's not a bad thing.
1: Yeah. And I think that's, again, another thing that's really valuable to know, like, okay, scoliosis You are having symptoms, Mm -hmm. but there are still things in that moment. I think that the thing that takes most people out of, well, it gives them frustrations because they can't do the things that they want to is as soon as the symptoms start, they think the game's over Mm -hmm. and that there's nothing that they can do. But once you start finding these things that give you some power or give you some ability over those symptoms in the moment, even when they start increasing, that is so empowering. What are some other things that you would say you do consistently or on a daily to kind of keep your body in working order or like what are you working towards? What are you what are you going to do next?
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, When I go through my assessments, like the things that I know I get to continue working on uh, my upper back, my rib cage, which we've talked about, um, my hips which we have also talked about. I still mm-hmm. get, it's a still a journey. So it's not like an end result. I'm mm-hmm. um, still something I'm working through with that. And my wrists, because I do love handstands and yeah. handstands is 100% going to be a part of my life because when people talk about meditation, like breath work for you is handstands for me. Yeah. It literally calms me. It is something that feels freeing in my body. I'm not trying to show off. I am literally coming back to peace in my body. Yeah. So
1: I can vouch for that. It's like <laughs> stomach aches. I need to get in a handstand. Um, anything stressed, I need to get in a handstand. It's so true. can't sleep. I wake up and she's upside down in a handstand. <laughs> I'm not joking.
0: <laughs> that one the last one, a little. maybe the last one, but, <laughs> but could happen. Um, yeah. So for me, like making sure that I'm maintaining my, because like I said, in gymnastics, I wore wrist guards. So wrist guards are basically really, it's like, think about tape really tight around the hand. So when you go in putting, putting your hands on the floor, especially a lot of tumbling, a lot of yeah. handstands, a lot of things that we do, it, it gives support at that joint. Um, but what I think that also did was lack, the internal support I actually really needed mm-hmm. to build in the forearms and in the wrist. And so now it's something that not just not mobility wise as much. I've I've improved on my wrist mm-hmm. mobility a lot, but it's the strength around that wrist that I, I'm really starting to work on.
1: So should people never wear wrist supports or guards or ankle braces or anything like that? <laughs>
0: Uh, It depends. Of course. (laughs) It depends. And I think if we're using any kind of external support, just like we've talked about with orthotics, you must be working on the internal as well. And that's something that I highly lacked. Even when I was coaching, I didn't like I did question these things like I'm taping these ankles. Why am I taping these ankles? Is this really helping? And now that I take a step back and I've learned so much more, um, even through my own personal journey, it. I do believe that I did myself a disservice just by taping and just by using the the wrist guards every single day. It was every single day. Mm-hmm. And I think if I would have had the tools to support and continue to build on that internal and really build the support, then I wouldn't have had to wear it all the time.
1: And knowing that it's a journey is important because, again, how long have we been using these supports? Is it something that we just used because my wrist started hurting a few weeks ago or have I worn it for 50 years to avoid any pain or anything from happening? So knowing how long you've been doing something might tell you about how much work you might need to do to change that, right. You know, depending on how consistent it's been in your life. So right. I know that our body talks to us in many ways physically, right? Can you talk about another way that your body kind of talked to you physically and what that told you and some things that it might have helped you work through in your life?
0: Oh man, um there's so many different instances where I've had different experiences in my body. So one um yes, the shoulder blade, that's definitely one of the things that my body was talking to me. Um I've had stomach issues where mm. I had a twisted colon yeah. and people say that's BS but that is the diagnosis I received and the images right. that he showed me after the colonoscopy that I received. Um, and how there was just different blockages. Was it twisted off? Probably not. But was there a <laughs> twist in it? 100%. And it, it, you know, it didn't allow things to process through my system. So I had to go through yeah. moments where I couldn't eat for a week and I had severe, 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 severe pain. And what that taught me was that I probably wasn't fueling my body yeah. <laughs> as optimally because growing up as a gymnast, uh, you can eat whatever the heck you mm. want and you would burn it all off yeah. and it didn't matter. And so, really being in observation with understanding what i'm eating and how that's affecting me and how i feel do i feel fueled do i feel energized do i feel bloated do i feel mm-hmm. is my stomach hurting like i lived off gas x and i'm totally fine saying that it was something that i carried around with me all the time um and then the last thing that i really took in um more in- intuitively was that i got shingles On my Mm. body and I wasn't really listening to myself or trusting Mm. my inner intuition, that gut response where you're like, I know this isn't right, but I'm not going to say anything because I'm probably wrong.
1: (sighs) And it turns out that that intuition, something that was trying to tell you something.
0: hundred percent.
1: Totally. Yeah. And so I think that I just kind of wanted to ask that briefly at the end here to show that our body can show us and manifest these physical symptoms because of things going on in our body physically yes Mm -hmm. because maybe of the things we're eating nutrition wise Mm -hmm. or just because of those things emotionally socially spiritually going on in our lives Mm -hmm. as well and again our body talks to us in many ways and the more consistently and the more intently that we start listening to it you can start picking up some pretty cool things
0: 100% and my one message my my consistent message is always we spend time listening to other people and say that you're worth listening to yeah. and trying to figure out all the answers from someone else but reality is you are worth listening to within your body and we get to give that respect back and trust it trust it along the journey like you really know Thank you again for joining us on yet another PT Pearl. We just appreciate you so much. And of course, if you need more visuals for each PT Pearl, they are over at DocGenFit on YouTube. There is a whole section for the PT Pearls from the Optimal Body Podcast that you can use to really see what we're talking about. And don't forget, If you really like this, if you're learning from it, share it out, share it with your community, tell us what you're learning, rate and subscribe to the episode because there's going to be so many more goodies and PT pearls along the way. And if you're ready to dive in even deeper, don't forget we have an Optimal Body membership with an incredible community of movers learning with us and moving in their body. Until next time, thank you again.